0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to your favorite podcast with your three favorite geniuses giving our not-so-genius takes on all things TCU sports and other things around the country. We have had quite a week at TCU this week. We got a new defensive coordinator. We got an insane amount of football commits to the point that you almost didn't notice the news about the fact that we got a new defensive coordinator. And we had a crazy basketball game. Um, We're going to get started with the new defensive coordinator. My only take with it is that we at Three Wisemen, if you listen to our last call, our last episode, called it exactly what to expect out of the new. We called how soon it would be and exactly what to expect of him. As for what to expect of him, Barrett, do your thing. Tell us about our new defensive coordinator.
1: Yeah, so Avalos is, well, was previously the head coach of Boise State before he got fired. So props to Jacob for calling that immediately last week with picking up a court of picking up a head coach who was fired to be our defensive coordinator. Um, Jacob knows ball. Yeah, Jacob does in fact know ball. Uh he runs a very similar style of defense to Joe Gillespie in that he runs kind of a it's a base 335 but it plays a little more similarly to a 4-2-5 in that one of the three linebackers is pretty much always going to be a rush linebacker, like a defensive end, um, kind of similar to what Texas runs in a lot of ways, um, with the two outside edges being kind of more athletic linebacker types than actual defensive ends. Um, one kind of interesting thing to note is that he does a really good job of Adjusting to whatever play style the offense is playing with, and what I mean by that is he'll switch between four-two-five, three-three-five, even a five-man front at times, um, depending on what the offense is showing. Uh, one, I would say, big difference between him and Gillespie is he likes to send pressure a lot, so those linebackers are going to be a lot more useful when in, in pass rush. And in blitzing scenarios, than I think Gillespie has tended to do um, in his tenure here at TCU. So I'm I'm interested to see how this turns out. We've got a lot of players who already fit the system, just because we're switching basically from one one four two five three three five to another four two five three three five type system. And so it'll be interesting to see kind of how quickly the guys pick up. Avalos' defensive scheme, but overall, I think this is a pretty decent hire.
0: All right. Well, that is fantastic. I'm honestly excited for it. You, I know it's similar to what we've had in the past that some people don't like, but if y'all heard our episode last week, we kind of have our answers to how we feel about that. I'm very excited for this. I'm also glad we're acting like a big boy program and we're willing to fire someone. That all being said, there's been a lot else going on in the football world. Who on earth did we get for our recruits?
2: So starting off with high school, well, really, I'm going to start off with some news that came out today that isn't really recruits, but it's a player who pertains to TCU, and that is Jonathan Bax has withdrawn his name from the transfer portal. He's coming back to TCU next year, and he is a guy who fits that rush linebacker spot perfectly.
1: To go off that, another interesting person to add into that mix for that rush linebacker spot is Marcel Brooks. The guy's a freak athlete and hasn't necessarily gotten a lot of play time, I think partly because he's not that great in coverage. So maybe this is the change that he needs to actually be able to see the field where he can just use his athleticism to get to the quarterback.
2: Yeah, he's been hurt a lot too. I feel like every time he gets back, he gets hurt. It's just unfortunate career so far for him but switching switching focus here to recruits. we got two high school commits on Monday, I believe the same day that uh, Avallos was hired. It's either Monday or Tuesday uh, The first was Samir Comancho. He is a offensive tackle from Houston six three and a half 285 a little bit small I think on the weight side of things but again he's a high school guy he's probably like 17 years old plenty of time for him to jack that up especially when he gets in with Kaz not worried about it at all he's ranked as an 86 three star on 247 perfectly happy with the pickup glad that we're prioritizing the trenches the second guy that we got his name is Caden McFadden he's a safety cornerback from Pleasant Grove Texarkana 5'11, 185, ranked as an 85, 3 star on 247. Really, really, really athletic guy. Was previously committed to Duke. So if Mike Elko wanted him, I trust the uh I, I, I trust that he's a good player. Something that I've noticed about these guys is they're not terribly highly ranked. They're not high three stars. But I think, that's, I think that's a good thing in this day and age for college football. Yes, it's important to get a couple four-stars each class. You have to in order to drive a pipe with the fans. But with the new court ruling that happened, I think, earlier this week, that all players can now transfer automatically and play as many times as they want. They don't just get the one free transfer. They get as many as they want. I personally would rather have the lower rank guys who have the chips on the shoulder. They have that loyalty in them to the people who that, who, who recruited them and will stick it out for you. And especially
0: for a school like TCU, that's an important thing. If you're a Georgia or an Alabama or even a Texas, they might stick around through the few years at a little school like TCU. A lot of the bigger names will use TCU as a stepping stone. Whereas, you're more likely to find that uh, diamond in the rough with those younger guys and at least hope they stick around for longer.
2: Exactly. So I think both of these guys are going to be great pickups for us. I love what the staff is doing with the high school recruiting class this year. I think there's a lot of potential. Might not see it for a couple of years because of how many older transfers we're bringing in. But... I'm really happy with how it's shaped up. I believe signing day is next Wednesday or Thursday. That'll be something to look forward to. See if we can flip anybody. Barrett, who are we looking at for for um, transfer players? We got a couple of them so far. Uh, I think we're expecting a couple more, possibly to Sunday today or tomorrow. But
1: yeah, one of one of the biggest names, and Connor's going to love this is. Eric McAllister, he's coming from Boise State. He's a 6'4", 200-pound wide receiver, so big body on the outside. This guy was actually rumored to come to TCU before the season even started. So he's been linked with us for a long time. Um, He's got 58 catches, basically 1,100 yards and nine touchdowns in his career. And then for 2023, for this past year, he had 47 catches, almost 900 yards and five touchdowns. That was only in nine games, though, so the guy definitely put up some pretty solid numbers in his time at Boise State.
2: Yeah, and I want to say that's not because of injury either. I think there, there was a rift between he and Avalos at Boise, and when Avalos found out that McAllister was planning on entering the portal, he just said, you're done for the rest of the season. So no injury that he has to work his way back from that I'm aware of. Okay, He'll but- come in. I think he's excited for, to get back home. He's originally from Texas. Great pickup.
0: So I suppose it doesn't matter because he's a wide receiver, so our defensive coordinator won't play a major role in it. Is there any reason to be concerned, though, if there was that rift there?
2: At this point, I don't think so because we signed the D.C. on Monday and McAllister committed yesterday.
0: Okay. So and to he, be fair, he I- knew. And on top of it, it's going to be a different relationship here at TCU anyway, yeah. so I don't expect there to be, but I still wanted to think about that. All right, keep going, Barrett. Sorry.
1: Uh, the the second guy that I'll call out before passing it off to one of y'all for the rest of them um, is Bless Harris. He's an offensive tackle from Florida State. Uh, he's 6'5", 326. So keeping in line with TCU's offensive line style of play, of getting these big guys who can just go out and maul some people, um, he started five games for Florida State this year and has played in 11 of them. So he's, he's definitely gotten some play time on a team that went undefeated throughout the, the regular season. Sorry, Connor, for them not making the playoffs. But um, this is a huge hit. He was the number two offensive tackle in the transfer portal at the time. So I'm really, really excited for
0: him to just come and slot right in into one of our tackle spots. I really like both those gets. I obviously am an FSU fan, and I also am a Boise State pruther. So I, even though I don't like hurting those two teams, I like pulling those guys our way. That's Both of those are exciting gets, at least yeah. for me.
2: Bless Harris. I heard that he was pretty much the best tackle on Florida State this year. He just okay. has a couple injury issues, hoping that he can get in with Kaz in the spring get it sorted out. We honestly haven't had too many injury issues on our offensive line since, I guess, since Sonny took over. It's just this past year, our offensive line just sucked.
0: The only issue we even really had was uh, when Sonny complained about our guys not handling the heat against Colorado and had that kind of snarky comment. But even then, I mean, like, I think it really turned out, like you just said, I don't think our guys didn't handle the heat. I think they weren't talented. (laughs) And like, it really, our strength and conditioning has been very good for the last two years. It's just, you can only strengthen the condition guys so much if they're not good at football. (laughs) (laughs) All right, who else do we have coming? Jacob, pick pick us back up.
2: Yeah, uh, I'll, I'll take it away with a guy named Cooper McDonald. He's a linebacker from San Diego State. He spent two years at Washington before transferring to SDSU for two years. He's 6'3", 245. He's a stud linebacker. When I say stud, I'm, I mean the position. I think he's also a stud player. That's why we chose to pursue him. That's why he chose to come here. But he's a great player. Um, I think he had over 70 tackles last year at San Diego State. So good good pickup for for our defense, and in honestly, a much needed position. Like Barrett said, he's primarily going to play edge rusher for us, and he is—he's a senior, has one more year to play
1: in college football. Um, I don't think, yeah, and, and that position is basically going to be like a three-four outside linebacker, like you yeah, said, exactly. edge, um Twitchy athlete, definitely an athletic yeah. guy, and so he's—he's going to be much needed. Uh, pick up for this team we had some issues with pass pass rush for this past year didn't really get a lot of pressure on the quarterback at all throughout most of our games honestly um and so this this will be a big addition for the team
2: yeah we need to we need to rush more people so that
1: big dom can eat yes so connor take us away with our
0: new tight end (laughs) yes we took drake dabney I feel the opposite about him from what I do about the Boise State and FSU. I like hurting the team he came from because we took him from Baylor. We um we are expecting good things from him. He's 6'5, 248 pounds. He got 65 receptions and 873 yards with eight touchdowns coming off of 33 receptions, 552 yards and five touchdowns. He's a senior He's an awesome replacement as a tight end for Wiley. But we here at the Three Wiseman Wiseman Podcast are still reserving judgment because we have yet to receive his stance on the pyramids, which as we've seen in the past is a strong indicator for our tight ends. We as a podcast did reach out to him and ask, but as of this recording, he has yet to respond and answer his stance on the pyramids. I feel optimistic, but I will... I'll say from his football talent, I feel very good. I'm still nervous until I know whether or not he's been distracted by the distractions that are the fake Egyptian buildings out there.
1: Yeah, one, one thing to add here, anytime you can get 500 passing yards and five touchdowns out of your tight end on a season, especially in college, and um, that's, that's a lot of production coming out of your tight end for your offense. And so he's a pretty solid receiving threat going to slide right into that Jared Wiley role and hopefully be a nice kind of, um, check down and over the middle of the field option for Josh Hoover, most likely, or Haas Haney, if Haney somehow beats out Josh, but and
0: especially um, in a sunny Dykes world at TCU, Gary really underutilized our tight ends, but they are they are a real part of our offense now, and he will be a huge add.
2: I, I want to say something that kind of just happened uh, about one of the potential commits that we might be getting. Guy named Devin Hidrago. He was a Wyoming commit out of high school, so he's a high school guy, a safety, six foot and a half, one eighty five. Um. Ranked as a 87-3 star on 247. Um, he is now pretty much, I'm, I'm pretty sure he's going to be a TCU guy, if not today, tomorrow. So that's another safety for our defensive backfield. Potentially, of course, maybe not. But decommitted to Wyoming, from Wyoming, heavily rumored to come to TCU. That happened about two minutes ago.
0: Wow, great. I was, I was sitting there and I was going to tell the listeners, I was like, this so just happened that it's not on our episode outline.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. No, like this just happened. We, we need all the help we can get to replace the safeties that we had for this year. They were not that great this year, and they're a key part of our defensive schemes. And yeah, absolutely. To round us out of all the transfers coming in, and um, we are expecting a couple more commits to come in in the next few days, but for now... Um, Braylon James from Notre Dame is the last guy that we'll kind of bring up here he's a 6'2", basically 200 pound wide receiver uh, he's got a good upside, his family said that TCU was actually the place that he wanted to end up all along um, but wanted to give South Bend a try turns out it didn't work out so he's he's coming back and um, almost committed to us out of high school but he's, he's obviously committed to us now and uh, he's got four years of eligibility so Potential upside down the road for for him to break into that starting lineup.
2: Yeah, he was yeah. a top he was a top, I think, one thirty player in the country out of high school. Like he was a he was a really, really highly thought of and sought after player. TCU, I think, was in his final two. It was down to TCU or Notre Dame. Chose Notre Dame, played in one game, now steered back to Fort Worth, back home.
0: And, and he only played in one game because he was redshirting, right? It wasn't like – it's not like they had him benched. He just – it was his redshirt year, right? Uh, I,
2: I mean, probably a little bit of both. Okay. I mean, when when you get a stud freshman, you get a stud freshman who forces his way on the field. I mean – That's – But right. when there is a freshman coming out of high school, there's not really much pressure to play him right away, especially yeah. at a place like Notre
0: Dame. Yeah, Exactly. All right, and with that, like Barrett and Jacob both said, we do have some recruits we're hoping to hear from. Hopefully, by the time you're listening to this, there might even be more news. Um, but for now, that's the news we've got. Keep an eye out for a few more. And with that, we've got a transition into basketball. What a game that was. the The devil went down to Texas, and he was looking for a game to steal. And in the first half, it really looked like he was going to get it. And he did not. They were coming with an axe to grind. We ended their season last year and we're future conference rivals for them. They had a lot of reason to want to beat us. And in the first half, it really looked like they would. But for all who watched, you know, they did not because go Frogs. What what happened this game? Tell us about it.
1: Yeah. So this game, the Frogs started out horrendously bad. You you yeah. might say we were in a bind and we were way behind. Um literally then, way behind. Yeah. Um they they started off with four quick points, and basically from there, Arizona State had the lead very early in the first half and got out to a very fairly substantial lead, unless it was like 20 points or like 15 points at some point. Um Frogs fought back, obviously. I thought Ernest Uday played really well this game. Compared to
0: what what he has been, uh, last game he played pretty well against. He's starting Clemson to team. figure himself out because we did talk about the Clemson game being his first game that he did well in. Now he did well again. He's he's finally starting to get into the get into his position.
1: Yeah, and he he had a, a season high in points. He had eight points this game um, and five rebounds. So overall, like that's really all I want to see out of him. I would like to see him maybe get a block or two um just used that size to his advantage. But overall this was a pretty good game from him. Um I thought that Travian Tennyson and Avery Anderson were both really good off the bench. Um, Anderson had seven assists, only two turnovers, which is actually low for him. <laughs> um, and then Trey Tennyson had eight points. So this was kind of the first game where he showed up offensively he was two for three from three, and so gave a good spark off
0: the bench. Well, his real job off the bench off the bench has been to be like two for three from three and give that spark off the bench, and he finally did that and did his job and showed up like we were hoping he would.
2: Yeah, I think I texted you guys, and I posted on the uh, Horn Frog Blitz board uh, in the first half that Trey Tennyson has to play every minute for the foreseeable future because he's the only person on the entire team that I trust to make a jump shot. (laughs) And that kind of showed itself through the first 10 to 15 minutes of the first half. That was a bad team. Talking Kim Palm rankings, that was a 250-ranked team. That was a really bad team that played in the first 10 to 15 minutes. And then something flipped a switch. We came back. I think we
0: were down... And something to be noted on the flipping a switch, we have a history this season of starting really slow, and we did that. Um, Arizona State has the opposite. Their last loss, they gave up 61 points in the second half. They tend to come out strong and then finish a little weaker. We tend to be the opposite. We tend to finish weaker and or start weaker and finish a little stronger so it was a good blend of those two things, giving us this tale of two halves that we got in this game. And yeah,
2: it was also the fact that we took like six three-pointers and in our first eight shots
1: and, and didn't miss- make a of- single one of them. <laughs> yeah, T- Tennyson coming off the bench, he had an 11.6 box plus minus for the game. So obviously it was a really, really good addition off the bench. Um, I thought Jacoby Coles was kind of a non-factor this game. and. Um, He did not look too great. Um, Xavier Cork and Chuck O'Bannon, in my opinion, don't really need to be getting minutes really at all. Um, I know every time TCU plays, the announcers always go off about how deep this team is and how we run like a 10-man rotation, which like there's something to be said about that. And they definitely have their time and place to get minutes. But uh, Chuck makes some dumb decisions. All the time. And, well, and
0: I, I sent to our group chat, the, the three of us here w- during the game, when they were talking about that. And I was saying, I don't want to hear them say another thing about us having this impressive 10 man rotation until the 10 men are actually doing well. Like anyone could play a 10 man rotation and throw a random high school kid in as a 10 man. If the 10 men aren't all playing well, it's not impressive.
2: Yeah. Chuck, Chuck had some boneheaded moves in this game. I I remember he just didn't turn around for a pass, and I think it went off his ankle and out of bounds. And then there was the 10-second violation where he didn't even try and get it across half court. Just some dumb, dumb plays. But like looking at the box score after the game, he had seven rebounds, two blocks, a steal, five points. I mean, that's not an awful
1: stat line. No. His I don't stat know how line, he got
2: that stat line.
1: His stat line, I think, is way better than his gameplay.
2: Yeah, um, I mean, and look, if we're comparing it to Cork, though, at least O'Bannon has a stat line. It's not just cardio.
1: <laughs> yeah. I, I think that Mostafa is definitely our best big off the bench, for sure. Um. And and he plays like he he plays smart. He plays within himself and he knows his role. One thing that I think needs to be called out for this team. And I called it out during the game to the three of us, but um, TCU relies a lot on our athleticism in order to get rebounds, which is okay because we have a really athletic team as a whole. And so a lot of times we can out-rebound teams, but they don't do a great job of boxing people out, like, at all. Um, And that's going to really hurt us come Big 12 play when we're going against teams who have as much, if not more, athleticism than us, like Houston and Kansas with Hunter Dickinson. Hunter Dickinson is going to absolutely feast on this TCU team on the offensive boards if we cannot learn how to box out.
2: I don't think there's really anybody who has more athleticism than us. I don't really know if there's anybody who has as much athleticism as us. They might have slightly less. They're just a lot more skilled. I think our our, our players are athletes and then basketball players, a lot of them, whereas other teams will have basketball players who are athletes. Yeah. And if we don't box out – it's gonna come back to bite us, like Barrett said. Yes,
1: this this TCU team is incredibly good in transition. Um, whenever we are able to force turnovers or get or force missed shots and get a rebound and run in transition, we can beat pretty much anyone down the court. Um, and yeah. the issue on the offensive side comes whenever we have to run a half court offense. We have really basically no movement in half court offense. Um, outside of Micah PV and we'll, who we'll talk about in a minute, had an incredible game. I, I,
0: I heard he played pretty well.
1: Yeah, yeah, but um, what they need to figure out some form of set to run for offense because overall, like we just stagnate whenever we're not able to get out and push the pace of the game.
2: Yeah, completely agree. And I will say they—I thought they did better though, this game than last game. And that kind of started when Anderson and Tennyson were on the floor. Because while Anderson does have a tendency to turn the ball over sometimes, at least he drives. And we have Tennyson there who can shoot. And so defenses can't just pack the paint.
1: Yeah. I Jameer – the, the biggest turning point in this game, in my opinion, was actually when uh, Arizona State's center, Coffee, he got two quick fouls in the beginning of the second half and then got a technical while on the bench, and that was his fifth foul, and he was out for the game. And he was really their only size that they had. And so after that, we were able to actually utilize our athleticism and get a lot of offensive boards in the game. And um, He was also really their best rim protector and deterred a lot of, and altered a lot of our, our layups early on in the game. And I think that was partly why we started out so slowly is cause he was doing a really good job of protecting the paint. And once he was out of the equation, we took it to them and took it to their mouth and drove the ball, got a lot of offensive boards and we were able to run in transition. Compared, comparing back to the Clemson game, that was a much slower-paced game. TCU did not move the ball well. We didn't have a lot of assists in the game. Um, compared to this game, I think we had like over twenty, which is normal for us, and that's a lot. Um, and part of that is a product of us just being able to run and transition and get easy baskets off of a quick outlet pass.
2: Yeah, the Clemson game was really slow. Props to Clemson for making it that way, though.
0: Yeah, whenever um, a team Clemson. is playing against us from now on, the Clemson game will be the blueprint for how to beat TCU. That'll be the game oh, they watch and try and replicate.
2: Absolutely. Uh, I want to go back to Jameer for a little bit. He uh, sucked in the first half, and I think that reflected with him having like four total minutes of game time. He picked up a couple quick fouls and then was benched because – he partially because he had two quick early fouls and partially because he was just trying to force things. He was trying to do too much, which is kind of what we saw in the Clemson game. He's trying to do too much, not letting the offense flow. And then in the second half, we saw him let the offense flow. He had two really good shots on threes. He had a nice layup, making things happen for the offense. Overall, in the second half, nobody was trying to do anything that they can't do, which I think is really important for this TCU team. That's another reason we started off slow. Seven or eight of our first shots were three-pointers. That shouldn't happen for this TCU team.
0: We should not be shooting that we, many we, three-pointers we ever. In our, game. And, this is not the old days. We should play to our strengths and do what we're able to do because that's how you win a game. Exactly. You got to move the ball around the outside
2: and yes, yes, they might not like it, but sometimes you have to throw the ball inside as well. And the ball movement creates open lanes, find the cutter, which is what PV did extremely well um, last night. And, and that'll that'll create easy offense.
1: Yeah, we utilize yeah. Uday way more in this game than we have in the past, and it worked out well. Also, his touch
2: last night was incredible. <laughs> like he he wasn't just throwing the ball off the backboard hoping to get fouled. He was trying to score. And I think what a novel I concept. Was thinking about this today. I was thinking about it before we were on. I don't think he used the backboard last night. So maybe the coaches were like, think you're playing netball, which is like the European girl version of basketball where they don't have a backboard. Coaches were maybe they were like, think you're playing netball. You can't use the backboard. So you just have to lay it in gently into the basket. That's what you're supposed to do. And something clicked for him. He had a wonderful baby hook. He was getting rebounds. He had a couple layups, two awesome dunks. He ran the floor well. Just props to you all around, man. His improvement yeah. the past since the Georgetown game. I think that was the that was the turnaround. That was the click. Something clicked in the Georgetown game. He started getting rebounds. He started playing more physically. And since then, I thought he's played
0: great. With uh with the thought of playing great and something clicking, do we want to talk about a player who really clicked and really played great? <laughs> I think we kind of have to. I think we've been dancing around a certain player for a little while, and I think it's it's time we give somebody some credit.
2: Yeah. Micah Peavy, just take a bow. You're not here. You're probably not going to listen to this, but take a freaking bow, man.
0: That was a game. The only part I disagree with that Jacob just said is that Micah Peavy doesn't listen to the Three Wisemen podcast. During football season, I found that all of the team listened to our podcast. Clearly, the basketball team does as well. And quite frankly, I think the reason we saw such an impressive game was because Micah Peavy was waiting to be called out on our podcast. Yeah. And with that,
1: why don't we hop on into the wards? <laughs> Micah Peavy, you're winning that Golden Player Award. Uh, it's, it's pretty straightforward. Third triple-double in TCU history. First since 2017 with Kenrich Williams. So props to you. 13 points, 12 rebounds, 10 assists. Also added two steals on the game. And the best part about it, one turnover
0: to so 10 assists. One and with that, with that as the golden player, it was very difficult to find a Franken-sensational player because a lot of players played really well, but there was just such a gap between how well Micah Peavy did and how well the rest of the team did. It's very hard to pick a Franken-sensational player after that. but after a lot of deliberation, a lot of discussion. There were a lot of things that happened. Uday really improved in ways we hadn't seen. Miller had a pretty good game. He was the second highest scoring Miller on the court. There were We, we really thought it through, and we decided to give the Franken-sensational player also to Micah PV because what <laughs> he did was freaking insane.
2: <laughs> yeah, I texted you guys. I think it was about 18 minutes left in the game, of game time, left in the game. And Micah Peavy had just picked up his two early assists that he had in the second half. And I'd seen his sat line at halftime. And I said, Micah Peavy is on triple-double watch. And I didn't think he was going to get there. I really didn't. When, when Dixon subbed him out at like seven minutes left in the game, I was like, well, triple-double watch is over. Well, yeah,
0: my So my TV got all screwed up right towards the end of the game. So I was unfortunately not watching and I just felt my phone explode with people telling me we took Micah Peavy out and then it exploded again when Micah Peavy finally got it.
1: Well, and like with a minute and a half left in the game, right? He had all of his points, all of his rebounds, and he had nine assists and you could tell that they were just running the offense directly through him. And it was so entertaining watching the bench Whenever PV passed it to someone, they immediately started screaming at them to shoot. <laughs> um, at one point, he like dropped a beautiful dump pass off to Mustafa, who was right underneath the basket. Could have just done a baby hook and gotten the two points. And he passed it off. Meanwhile, the entire bench is screaming their heads off at him.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and then there was another one where he dropped it off to Cole's. Another beautiful like underneath pass underneath the rim and coles the ball just goes through his hands and through his legs and Mustafa picks up the ball and scores and the announcers are like oh that doesn't that doesn't count because yeah. it was a loose ball so
1: props to Mike Beebe. you were great this game keep it yeah. up let's see that another was one. awesome all
0: right jacob you want to bring us home with our player we'd like to see Murr out of
2: yeah I think we got to see Murr out of Coles. He's yeah. been forcing shots the past couple of games and the shots that he was making in the first couple of games of the season, he hasn't been now. And not, not to say that like we missed him this game, we won by 20. He was contributing in other ways as well, defensively rebounding. Um, But there's going to, we're going to need him down the stretch. We, we're going to need him to, to make shots frankly, and really the whole team to make shots. So I'd I'd love to see a little bit more out of Coles, especially on the offensive end, which I never thought I'd have to say.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And and going going off of that, like, yeah, Coles has not been great the past couple of games and we want to see more out of him. However, again, this goes back to what we were talking about earlier in the, in the season, on the podcast where we talked about how this team has so many guys that can be the leading scorer any given night, that it's hard to guard a team like that uh, and effectively stop the offense. Like Coles is one of our leading scorers. Didn't put up really – he had like, what, two, four points this game? Two points. Um, Yeah, two points this game. Did a whole lot of nothing. But we got those points out of other guys. And so I think that just – continues to show that like this is a very balanced team.
0: All right, so with that, we're going to transition into some picks for the week. As far as where we stand, beautifully in last place is Barrett at 18 points. It is worth noting that he had less control over his picks last week than he usually does. Um, In second place is me at 23 points. My victory over Barrett is exclusively my one mystery game that I happened to pick right. <laughs> and in first place, absolutely dominating is Jacob with 32 points. Um, I won't get into too much of what the picks were last week. You can look at what happened and see why not. I do want to note that the Tusculum ETSU game was a 50-point win for ETSU. <laughs> And that the mystery game in in college football season, I had a knack for picking the absolute nail-biter, random nothing games that every person should have watched. Continuing that game, in the mystery game, Team 2, St. Andrews University, lost to Team 1, Liberty University. In a game of ninety-nine to twenty-six, yes. <laughs> I was hoping <laughs> it was the game <laughs> that everyone should have watched. <laughs> Yikes! Um, unfortunately, Jacob was the only one who picked Liberty in that game, putting him commandingly in the lead. With that, we've got some games coming up this week. First, we've got some relatively good Big 12 games and some relatively – there are some good games going on this week, but it's also because it's Christmas a little less exciting than it could be. Um First up, we've got Baylor-Duke. Who's going to win that game, Jacob?
2: Baylor's coming off of a really embarrassing loss. I think that they bounce back with a win against Duke, unfortunately. I'll be cheering – nope. I'll be cheering for um, – for one of those hurricanes or something like that to come through and knock the game out.
1: <laughs> All right, Barrett, who you have? Uh, I'm gonna pick Duke in this one. They lost to Arkansas, who has not looked good this season. However, um, I think Duke matches up pretty well against Baylor. Baylor's got one of the better offensive backcourts in the nation, but Duke's backcourt and Tyrese Proctor and Jeremy Roach are both really solid defenders. Um, and pretty good offensively in their own right. Kyle Filipowski is a problem in the middle. Um, I, I think they match up well against a Baylor team that struggles when they deal with good bigs. And so I think Duke comes out on top in this one.
0: I do not have any the animosity towards Duke that Jacob has. I'm not from North Carolina. I don't care if there's a hurricane. I just want Baylor to suffer. I'm taking Duke. UNC, Oklahoma, Jacob.
2: Uh, I'm going to stick with my UNC is fraudulent claim. And
1: I'm going to pick OU. Barrett? Yeah, I'll ride with OU on this one. They haven't proven to be a bad team so far. So,
0: All right. I agree with Jacob that UNC is fraudulent. I haven't watched them play. I just know Jacob is smarter than I am, and I'm taking his word for it. However, I do believe OU is also fraudulent. So I'm taking UNC. My power rankings, for what it's worth, strongly reflect my thinking OU is fraudulent. (laughs) Uh, We'll get to that later. All right. TCU, Old Dominion. We're going to hear a little bit more about this in a minute. But who do you have, Jacob? TCU and a landslide. Barrett. Go Frogs. Same. TCU across the board. We'll hear more about that in a minute. Next up, I had to bring in a directional school. East Illinois or Iowa State? Jacob.
2: Got to go with Iowa State
1: here.
0: All right, Barrett.
1: Yeah, Iowa State's length and their ball movement is going to destroy this East Illinois team.
0: There is absolutely no reason Iowa State should lose this game. However, when I picked South Illinois, I won. I'm taking East Illinois. (laughs) 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 All right, and lastly, a game that for no reason should be close. But according to ESPN matchup predictor, is almost a coin flip. Toledo, West Virginia. Jacob,
2: <laughs> I think Toledo will take this one.
0: Barrett.
1: Yeah, let's go with the Rockets. Toledo's going to
0: beat West Virginia. They've looked terrible this year. <laughs> we, we are going three for three. By all means, a team like a team in the Big Twelve should be a landslide over Toledo. I'm going with Toledo. Now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Northwestern versus Arizona State. Oh,
1: Northwestern
0: by lot. All right. Barrett?
1: Yeah, I'm riding with Northwestern.
0: Yeah, we're riding across the board there. I'm also taking that. Bama, Zona, Jacob.
1: Ooh,
0: Arizona. All right. Barrett?
1: Yeah, Bama's I think better than their ranking and record shows right now. Arizona's coming off a tough loss, but I think Arizona is definitely the better team of the two.
0: I'm taking Arizona especially with them coming off the tough loss. They're they're going to have a chip on their shoulder and they're going to want to win. Um this never happened in football season, but I'm having the same team in our picks again. Arizona versus a higher ranked than Bama FAU Wait, huh, Jacob?
2: Um, I think I'm gonna go with Arizona again. All right, Barrett.
1: Yeah, uh, FAU is a decent team. They obviously made the Final Four. I I still think Arizona stomps them in this one. Honestly,
0: I, I'm from very close to FAU. Zona has got a tricky schedule in these three games. They're coming off a loss, then they've got Bama, then they've got FAU. I'm picking FAU. I think Zona should win and is the better team. I just think Zona is in the middle of a gauntlet and they're going to be exhausted. So I'm giving it to FAU. Next, we have a team that we picked during our three-point round during football season. And I did not know how to say their name. Since then, I have not. Showing the respect to learn how to say their name. <laughs> <laughs> According to my ESPN app, it is spelled, and I'm sure this must be some form of abbreviation, WSTMNSTRPA. So I don't know, Westminster, bro,
1: Westminster, Pennsylvania?
0: Youngstown, yeah, something like that. Versus Youngstown State. Jacob.
2: I'm going to take
1: Youngstown State here.
0: All right, Barrett.
1: Yeah, I'm going to ride with Youngstown State, too. They have a penguin in their little logo thing, so that's kind of cool.
0: <laughs> I think if I don't give Western Runs for the respect <laughs> to learn how to say their name, the least I can do is pick them in the game. I'm riding with Western Munster for breath. <laughs> Next up, we have Defiance versus IUPUI
2: oh man you gotta pick oey Pooey
0: here <laughs> <laughs> you gotta go with oey Pooey <laughs> all right Barrett, who are you taking
1: um I'm with Jacob on this one I think defiance is not defiant enough and Ui Pooey is gonna come out with the dub
0: all right well Jacob is too far ahead of me I need the cheap points I'm praying defiance takes over Uwe Pooey <laughs> so I'm taking defiance um Lastly in this round, we have Keen versus St. Peter's. What was the first Jacob. one? Keen, K-E-A-N.
2: <laughs> I think I'm going to take St. Peter's because I think I've heard of that one before.
1: Let's go Peacocks. Yeah. The first 16 heard- to ever win an NCAA tournament game.
2: Oh, is that St. Yeah.
1: Peter's? I'm not very keen to pick the
2: other team.
0: Oh, you stole my joke. That's what I was going to (laughs)
2: say. All
0: right. So are you both – I'm judging – I'm guessing from Barrett's reaction, you're also taking St. Peter's? 100%.
1: All right.
0: I have never picked against the Catholic school, and I'm not going to now. I'm 90% sure St. Peter's is Catholic. It sounds very Catholic. I'm riding with St. Peter's. Last but not least, we've got our mystery game with a reminder – Last week, the only one to win our mystery game was Jacob picking team one. Barrett, who are you taking?
1: I'm going to reset and pick team one.
0: All righty. And Barrett, or and dear Lord, hold on, whatever. Jacob, who are you uh, picking? I'll
2: take team one as well.
0: All right. I also have team one because that's what Excel gave me. So we are universal on the mystery pick this game. <laughs> I'll switch to team two then. Okay, Barrett's taking team two, which puts us in a dangerous position for Barrett to, or dear Lord, Jacob, <clears throat> words are hard. Jacob is in a dangerous position to really run away, but also hopefully Barrett and I can catch up a little bit. With that, we've seen our, mis- or our picks for the week. I said we were going to get to the TCU game in a little bit. It's about that time. We've got the Diamond Head Classic coming up. What should we expect from the TCU Old Dominion game we have coming up?
2: Yeah, ODU is not a good team. They're coming off a big loss to number 18, James Madison. They're 3-6 and overall. They like to run a lot of three-yard lineups. uh, And some players to watch out for is Chance Jenkins. He is their leading scorer at 16.7 points per game. He's a good shooter, 42% from the field, 40% from three, 72% from the line. Basically has a one-to-one assist-to-turnover ratio, though, so... That's something this whole team likes to do is turn the ball over. I think we can have a heyday and really run it out on them. I think their their entire offense runs through Jenkins. Stop him. Stop their team. Put Mike on him. It's what we did in the second half with Adam Miller in the game against Arizona State. We just stuck Mike PV on him, and he did absolutely nothing.
0: But unfortunately, the guy is, do nothing enough to let Emmanuel Miller be the number one scoring Miller on the course.
2: Yeah, it's because we didn't. We didn't adjust quick not enough. Yeah, should have put him put him on him earlier. Uh Vashawn Olette, uh 6'3 freshman guard, is their second leading score, 14.7 points per game on 50% from the field, 30% from three. Not a good free throw shooter. Uh he leads the team in steals, so he's good instincts for a freshman. And he's also their second leading rebounder. And Barrett, is there anybody else we should be watching out for?
1: Yeah, last guy to watch out for is Tyrone Williams. He's a 6'5'' senior, another guard, um, leading rebounder, almost 12 points per game on 37% shooting, 22% from three, so not a great three-point shooter. He's also not a great free throw shooter at 68%, um, but he does have 6.6 rebounds per game. So he's, he's going to be a, a slasher that's going to fly at the run. Uh, ODU actually played Arkansas earlier this season. I actually got to go watch them play in Bud Walton. Uh, they lost that game 86-77. to 77. However, one interesting thing to note here, they had 12 offensive rebounds in that game. This is a team that the guards like to go and chase their boards. And so if we are not diligent in boxing out on this team – it is going to burn us. And like we said earlier in the podcast, that's something that TCU typically struggles with. We try and use our athleticism to just out-rebound teams. These guys make a point to crash the boards on offense. And so we need to be really, really focused and keyed in on boxing out our man in order to stop that and stop giving them secondary possessions.
2: Yeah, it should be a relatively easy win. It's a Q4 game. Um, I'm
0: not really expecting too much trouble. Um, And should we beat them in this relatively easy win? What should we expect for the rest of the Classic?
2: Yeah, so the winner of this game is probably going to play Nevada. Uh, Why they matched up Nevada and TCU, by far the two best teams in this tournament, on the same side of the 18 bracket, I don't know. But Nevada and Temple, are playing the other game in our side. So I don't want to get ahead of myself, but likely us and likely Nevada will be playing in the second round, the semifinal. And on the other side of the bracket is Georgia Tech, who does have a really nice win against Duke this year, and UMass, who is not good. Uh, and again. And then Portland is playing Hawaii. So not great teams in this tournament which makes it ours to lose and that adds pressure which can only be good this early in the season
1: yeah yeah like, like jacob said that that semi matchup most likely against nevada is going to be basically the championship game for all intents and purposes and we should handily beat Old Dominion. Nevada's definitely going to be a pretty tough out for us. Uh, but to Jacob's point, uh, we're the team to beat in this tournament, and we need to play like it.
0: With that being said, speaking of not-so-great teams, Jacob, you want to tell us our, our quadrant talk?
2: Yeah, so the game against Arizona State, as of yesterday morning, Arizona State's Ken Palm ranking was 99, which makes this a, that a quadrant two game. I had heard they'd switched to, or flopped, to 101, which would make it a Quadrant 3 game, because 100, the ranking of 100 is the cutoff for Quadrant 2 and Quadrant 3 in neutral site games. So that game, I think, will pretty much flip-flop the rest of the season. Um, but it would be nice if they could solidify a Quadrant 2, like, spot, because obviously it looks better for us in the long run. As another thing that's in danger of moving is our game against Georgetown. Georgetown's ranking has tanked since we played them. Uh, it's in danger of moving to a Q4 game. And which that is one's not good. particularly
0: unfortunate because we we knew Georgetown isn't what they've been in the past, but when we went into that game, we really talked about it like it was our first serious game. So seeing them fall to Q4 would not be great.
2: Yeah. This Old Dominion game was also a Q3 game. And Old Dominion's ranking is tanked as well. And it's shifted to a Q4. Nevada was... It's going to be close to a Q1 game by the time we play them. Their ranking as of yesterday morning was 55, which would make it a Q2. 50 is the cutoff for... um, neutral site quadrant one games. So it's either going to be a one or a two would be fantastic. If it could be a Q1, probably going to be a Q2, but regardless, we need
0: to win it. Well, I will say as a Florida state fan, if they are a Q1, we don't have any quality losses, which is important, apparently far more important than going undefeated. Yeah,
2: that's Um, true.
0: All right. Well, my, Silly joke aside, this week was rough for our strength of schedule. Them all falling was a bummer because we really did, for as much as people criticized our strength of schedule in our offseason game, we scheduled these games as solid Yet That Nevada game was hopefully going to be a Q1. Georgetown was supposed to be better. Old Dominion was supposed to be better. It was unfortunate to see those fall. But we just need to keep winning. With yeah. all that... Do one one to last note to, oh, to add there. yeah, one last note to add there.
1: Um TCU in Ken Palm rankings is currently ranked as the 262nd most unlucky team in the Ken Palm rankings. So that's just one thing to note there. How did they
0: did you know how they measure that?
2: They i I tried to look into it and it was just like
0: it was just luck rankings. Because I but, will say our game against Georgetown alone should bump us up in that.
2: <laughs> yeah, and after we'd played Clemson, we were Clemson was the 30th, thirtieth, 30th most lucky team in basketball,
0: and we were two hundred and sixty second. That's a heartbreaker. Hopefully, we see That's our luck tough. improve. But you know what? If we're gonna be unlucky, I want it now and not a month from now. So I'll take yeah. it. Fair. All right. Now, with that in mind, let's move on to some power rankings.
2: Yeah, so power rankings this week had a lot of, of shifting. Houston and Kansas stayed at the top one and two. Oklahoma moved up three spots to third in the power rankings. Texas stayed at four. BYU moved up to five. Iowa State moved up to six. Baylor slid down I'm not sure how that worked if two teams moved past them. I must have done the math wrong. Or if somebody was tied last week. Somebody um, was tied last week. Okay, that's what it was then. Yeah. Baylor moved down to seventh. TCU's at eighth. Kansas State is at ninth. Texas Tech moved up to tenth. Cincinnati slid down two spots to eleventh. Then UCF, Oklahoma State, and West Virginia round us out. Connor, I'm going to let you start here because I don't know what you did with your power rankings. If you just want to read them off. My power
0: rankings, just so we're on the same page. Many people have been trying to understand what they are. What they are is the only objectively correct rankings in the country. (laughs) I have Kansas at first. I finally gave Houston a little respect and put them at second. I have Texas at third. Iowa State at fourth, though I do expect that to fall. As I did say, I think a directional school will finally bring them down. Baylor I have at fifth. I will say with Baylor, when I submitted my power rankings, I had not seen that they had lost yet, and regardless of their performance this coming week, I like excuses to hurt Baylor, so expect them to be ranked lower next week, no matter how well they do this week. Um, I have K-State next, just above OU. I have been criticized by certain members of this podcast for putting two lost K-State above undefeated OU. But I do believe OU is fraudulent, and I will rank them as such. (laughs) Next, I have TCU. I really want TCU to do something that impresses me so I can homer them a little bit. Um, at the time I put in my rankings, we were in the first half of the Arizona State game, and it was very difficult to be a homer. I have BYU lower than honestly, I believe. I don't know what Pastor Connor did in that decision, but Pastor Connor must be smarter if he submitted them there, so that's where BYU goes. <laughs> then my, my bottom barrel does make a little more sense. I've got Tech, UCF, Cincy. I have West Virginia above Oklahoma State. We have West Virginia below Oklahoma State. I'm really fine with either of those. Both of them are really bad teams.
1: Yeah, to go through my changes in these rankings, I've decided to rank a little more closely to how the records are playing out versus how I actually think the teams are. So that's partly why you see OU jumping up so significantly. I'm with Connor. I don't think OU is as great as their record shows. I think they're a good team, but I don't think they're top three in the Big 12. Um, I have BYU over UT at number four, and then the biggest difference that I have is actually I have nine, ten, eleven going Tech, Cincy, KSU, and um, so basically flip flop, flip flopping KSU and Cincy a little bit. Um, the the big thing here for me is that there is a significant drop-off from UCF to Oklahoma State and West Virginia. Those two teams should remain in the bottom for the rest of the season. I think UCF has a chance to fight for that kind of 9 through 12 ranking system. Um, In my eyes, I would say Cincinnati is probably towards the top end of that bottom half, but then the top eight teams here really can fight for any position. Um, I think Houston and KU they've they've both looked a little a beatable in my eyes um and so they could move down these rankings very quickly once we get into big 12 play but the the top half of the big 12 is very very deep and yes. I think it'll it'll show in the records and we should see a lot of movement throughout the season as we enter big 12 play.
0: So, I will say, I just went to prove that Oklahoma is fraudulent by making the claim that good teams win, but great teams cover. And unfortunately, Oklahoma has failed to cover exactly one game this season and has covered every other game. I have nothing but a gut feeling to downrank them. Barrett said that
2: we could see some movement from KU and UH. I think Houston's that. I think Houston's legit. But Kansas man, I was watching them play play Indiana. Who is like kind of a mid-tier Big 10 team. They haven't really done poorly the past couple of years. Like last year they had Trace Jackson Davis and then their other guard whose name I don't remember. But man, Kansas did not look good. They looked beatable. I think they they lack that playmaker who can just who can take over a game. And because of that, I think, I think they're really beautiful. Like Dickinson can't really do anything without the ball in his hands. And if you confront him on the post, he won't get the ball, which takes away most of their offense. If you can just be a quality defensive team, I think you can force them to slow down and then you can definitely run on Kansas. So, I think Kansas is out of the top two, Houston and Kansas. I think Kansas is definitely at the most risk there.
0: I think Houston's going to fall. I've been fading them for a while. They've been proving me wrong, but I still think Kansas is going to take that number one spot.
2: Houston is your Alabama.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Or
2: his Georgia? My
1: Georgia. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I –
0: I already got sassed for saying Kansas isn't real. I can't sass Georgia too much right now.
1: And I think my, my take on Houston is not necessarily that they're a bad team. I think they're still a great team. I just don't think they're, like, going to beat everyone in the Big 12 great. Um, and I think No, nobody
2: will go undefeated.
1: Yeah, and I think that's, that's the key takeaway here for me is that, like, this top half of the Big 12, like I said, super deep. I think Iowa State is a criminally underrated team. They look – really really good they're good defensively they move the ball well they've got a lot of length and athleticism and um, i think they're a team to watch out for as like a dark horse to win the big 12 this year um, along with go Frogs, tcu um but overall the, this is a deep conference and it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out and how the come you know tourney time how the the picks of teams to actually make the NCAA
0: tournament is going to come out of the big 12. All right. Well, all that being said, we got a lot to look forward to and thank you all for tuning into another great episode of your favorite podcast with your three favorite geniuses. Uh, It is Christmas week. So I, or Christmas coming up this week. So I don't know what to expect in terms of a midweek round ball review or next week's episode, but we will be back as soon as possible. We will have a phenomenal episode for you with all sorts of not-so-genius takes on all things TCU sports and other things around the country. Thank you all so much. Follow us on Twitter, at TCU's Three Wisemen, and go Frogs!